Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. everybody welcome to this week's podcast today we have a lighting designer friend of mine named karen lawrence she's a freelance lighting designer who's worked around the la area and a couple shows internationally i first worked with karen as the lighting designer on allegiance for jaccc and east west players uh almost a year ago yeah i think it, it almost exactly a year ago uh then later worked with karen on the troubadour show um a year without a Santana Claus. She is a teacher currently at UCLA and a mentor at USC, but has taught at a couple other places. And she has a couple of Ovation nominations. And I think I took a picture or two with her at Ovations a couple weeks ago. So welcome to the podcast, Karen. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I do have to say that I teach at Cal State LA, not UCLA. Ah, Cal State LA. I always get those two confused. <laughs> Same thing. Something, something about LA. <laughs> Close enough. I'm sure they don't think so, but good. Uh, another exciting fact that I'm going to throw in now because I'm I'm watching. She has a corgi, a baby corgi, yes. much smaller than Doggington, and uh, yeah. So I keep sending her corgi pictures whenever I get the chance. <laughs> Cindy says we're going to change the podcast to um, animals and nerdy stuff since that's all I seem to talk about. <laughs> this is very true. Aww. She just <laughs> she doesn't have a puppy. Okay, so uh one of the things we always like to start with is how did you get into theater? Did you always know you wanted to be in theater? Did you start as an actor? Did you kind of happen into it? Uh yeah, I have the the typical story that a lot of us have. Um started out as an actor uh acted in high school uh loved it um never once even thought about what was lighting us um i don't i don't think uh that ever crossed my mind um went to undergrad and uh also uh majored in theater and i started out acting um also majored in psychology to uh appease my dad that's like twins. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's exactly what I did too. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and I think a lot of it is very applicable to theater. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, yep. and figuring out people and collaboration and social studies and all of that good stuff. Um, but we had to uh, take backstage courses as most theater majors do, and I took lighting my junior year. And just loved it and took an advanced lighting class after that. And it just kind of snowballed from there. <laughs> and was that really the first time that you actually thought about lighting? Yeah, sadly. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I ever, I don't know. I just never really thought about, um, I actually thought about uh, costumes a lot more. And then, um, mm -hmm. well, I took that class first in our uh design lineup and thought I would really enjoy that and then um ended up not not caring so much for costume design that was a uh, much more difficult than uh I thought it was in my head but 
<laughs> a lot of details, small little details. Yeah, a lot of sewing. I mean, my mom is great with all of that, and I just I could not get the hang of it. So <laughs> nice. Uh, where'd you go to undergrad at? Uh, I went to UC Irvine. That's a good program, I've heard. Yeah, I actually went there for undergrad and then took two years off um, and then went back for grad school. So same same place. Was there, there was enough difference in classes to do that? Uh, yes, um, mostly because I just fell into lighting so late. Um, I, I was already in my, my junior year, so by the time I got requirements for both my psych degree and theater, I didn't actually take a whole lot of lighting. Um, Got it. Yeah. So my senior year, I took enough to realize that I was hooked. And then I think those, the two years that I took off were great and that I experimented and played around and was able to light, um, you know, my friends' productions and, and did a lot of really crazy, uh, you know, free theater projects. Um mm-hmm. And then realized very quickly that if I wanted to make a living, I was going to have to actually learn a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't can't keep doing theater for free. <laughs> so I, I went back. Yep, that's always the catch. <laughs> uh, so we we talked to a couple of lighting people, but not a lot of them. Uh, how do you like lighting is very abstract because it's based a lot on the set and what's going on on stage how do you come up with a concept for lighting like what the colors are or where the lights are coming from oh um Big question. yeah i think uh well it's it's different for every show um obviously i mean sometimes the sometimes the the inspiration is right there in the script and it's it's very easy to um, latch onto something right from the dialogue or the stage directions or the the theme and you know deeper meaning behind the script. Um, other times it's it'll be in the set or uh, something you know more inspirational comes a little bit later down the line um, as far as you know coming up with that with that design um, if it's more movement based you know that really kind of dictates the angles that I naturally. Uh, lean towards um or if it's you know magical realism that there are some categories that you know automatically kind of help you with color and angle right from the start um yeah (laughs) does that answer (laughs) answer a little bit I, i think the script first and foremost and having coffee with the director you know chatting and figuring out the overall vision um helps a lot are there other times ever times that you see a set and you're just instantly instantly think I have to do such and such with this set or like I need to highlight this part or you know this is going to be perfect for a light coming in the window or anything? Yes. Um yes, a lot of times so uh I make what what I call like a wish list and so it's just mm-hmm. big ideas, maybe tiny ideas that I latch on to um and I start and I read a script or get introduced to a project, and then I keep that document alive and, and working. So when I see the set, then I add some more um, items to that wish list. Um, or, you know, make cross off some things on that wish list. If, if the set 
you know, is a certain way or a certain color or where I know that, oh, idea A isn't going to work anymore. So, you know, that gets taken off the list. But yeah, I like to say that that list is kind of the basis. If it doesn't make it on the list, it's not going to make it in a plot and make it to back around to the design during tech. So sometimes those lists are really long for me because I want all those ideas to have a handle somewhere. I know the set for Allegiance, I don't know if, Stacy, you were there for that first uh, production meeting, but... I, um, I didn't join till the set was already designed and sent off to Pasadena and had started being built. <laughs> oh, man. Some of those first uh, scenic design you know, presentations, I, I think there was one one version of it that was almost a solid box that was white and uh, like a shiny, almost mirror surface. <laughs> That's great for lighting. How the hell am I going to light that? Yeah, and I think I did. I think I held up the picture and was like, this is, is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, Say is, is, Sayo is fantastic. And uh, we came up with, with some things that uh, definitely tied to the script a bit more than a white box. But not to say a white box isn't great and lightable for the uh, right show, but... <laughs> but not that one. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think it was mostly a tan box towards the end with a brown floor. We yes. cut some of the box walls off. They wanted the high side <laughs> things. And after a while, we're like, there's there's no way to light or to hang these feasibly. So those yeah. got cut. They were built and just not used. Yeah. It, it went towards a more, a much more natural kind of earth tone feel. No, no shiny white. No shiny white. Yeah. yeah. Shiny was something we were trying to stay away from. <laughs> so uh, in your designing of things, you come up with the concept and ideas. How do you translate that to instruments and where instruments are placed? Do you have like just a library of knowledge in your head about source fours are good for this and these movers are good for that? And you just magically put pictures on a paper? um i i think well that's part of it i think every designer has um like a toolbox of favorites and you know we we all have our different styles and things that we gravitate towards um uh but i will say after after teaching lighting i think it's a lot easier for me to kind of talk and break down those steps but i always say that there are um there are like five main kind of designer choices, and one of those is um, brushstroke or your instrumentation. Like what light is best for what type of job? And if you start with the basics, like a Lico um, or an ERS, uh, the Fresnel and the Par, each one of them has a very different quality of light to that. Uh, and so, if I'm lighting something that's know, very powerful or raw or um, a little rough around the edges, I might go for a parkan because that quality is matches those kind of emotional uh, feelings. Or if I need some more, you know, crisp or more control with a light, I might go for an ERS. Um, but I think for me, everything, everything ties back to emotion. Uh, what what is the story that we're trying to tell? And you know, all of the 
not limitations, but the challenges of the space or the challenges of the set or costumes or um, just the time frame. I'm working on a show right now where we have very, uh, very little time. So it's like, okay, what are the big picture items? What's the story we have to tell? And how can lighting best tell that story with what I've got? Um, so as, as long as we're tying back to the emotion and you can do that with color, you can do that with intensity, um, with angle. Uh, I, I start, I start there with the storytelling. Is it, uh, I'm trying to figure out how best to, to ask the question. How often do you get into a location where you can only use like what that venue has or are you often given a large enough budget to rent uh, equipment or is it kind of mixed? Uh, I think it's mixed, um, and especially with where I'm at now in my career. Uh, I, I do a lot of you know very small local theater that, I mean, this latest one has, I think, 12 Fresnels and a handful of Licos and... Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what we have to work with, and we don't have a budget, but the story really needs to be told, and I'm all for supporting that. Um, and then there are shows like Allegiance where we have a pretty great budget, and we can rent movers, and we had LED Licos and all the fun fancy toys, and um, you know both experiences are are really great. I think being able to design under like an uh, those certain limitations pushes you as a designer to think more outside the box, um, which then helps when I get money and can rent things. <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like, is it easier or harder to be like, this is what you have to work with versus here's money and then you just have like this world of possibilities. And then is it difficult to kind of narrow that down? That's oh, how I feel I would kind of. Yeah, it it totally is. And I remember some of those first shows with having a budget where I literally had no idea what to do. Yeah. Like, I don't There's know. There's too many options. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think they're both both challenging in different ways. Like, and now after, you know, having more experience with the budget and being able to rent here, this, this show, I'm like really struggling to try to tell the story the way that I see it in my head with not having uh, the gear that I really want. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it works both ways. <laughs> challenges on both yeah exactly what is the main i can't say main difference because master electricians and designers are different one's designing one's doing more of the figuring out what gets plugged into where so what would you say uh are some of the main differences between a designer and electrician master electrician and how they have to work together on getting the plot up to Getting it ready for you to then come in and use your paintbrush to make things look pretty. Um, I, (laughs) I would be nowhere and nothing without my master electricians. I am, uh, uh, I definitely owe them so much. Uh, I am not a huge fan of figuring out our power calculations and, how to wire such and such. And I would so much rather get into, I love tech for the first part. Um, I would much rather be in tech designing, doing the color and the angles. I really like plotting too. I think that 
that like fits both <laughs> sides of my brain. I'm a little um, uh, very organized and I, and I like my my systems and my patterns. And I think the plotting part of design really uh, suits me very well. Uh, but I mean, my boyfriend was my master electrician at one point, And some of my best friends are master electricians. Um, and I would be nothing without them. They save me on every single show. And I just, I think the world of them. But uh, yeah, I love to be able to say, here's what's in my head. Please uh, translate and figure out how to actually make it work. And um, somehow they do. So <laughs> you, you have to know enough to like, make the plot and then they look at the plot and they're like how does this actually work in the location we are at <laughs> what oh, dimmers right. are not working how everything patched into the board do you do a lot of programming on your own or do you use your master electrician to usually program the board um i i i say it's probably even um and it, it depends on the theater and the venue a lot of times you know the smaller budgets they don't have another programmer or a master electrician um, but whenever possible, I, I really love using a programmer. Um, and I consider programmer and master electrician most of the time to be two separate, uh, okay. people or two separate talents. Um, not to say that they can't be the same. Um, but if I have a programmer, I will gladly use one. I think it just enables a designer to really look at the stage and the space and focus on what's actually in front of their eyes rather than stare at a screen and trying to figure out exactly how to make those movers do what is in my head. Um, but I can, and I do often. Uh, I'm, I'm much more comfortable programming than I would say running a crew as a master electrician. I'd say that. Yeah. That makes sense. What kind of board I know a lot of designers are like they just do hogs or they just do ETCs. What what side do you oh, yeah. fall on? People <laughs> people are, are married to their consoles. Yep. Um I grew up with the ETC consoles. So I'm EOS, Ion, Elements, all the ETC line. But yeah, so I'm I'm very proficient on those consoles. Um I've used the the hog uh, a couple times, but it's been forever, probably since grad school. Um, and then the I've used the MAs. Um, yeah, I'm, I'd better have a, a programmer if I'm doing the MA or the uh, grandma. Not not too uh, proficient with those. I don't think yeah, I've ever even seen that second one you mentioned. The grandma. Yeah. Yeah, it's um uh much more in the concert uh got it okay right in opera i think it's like 99 percent just etcs oh fascinating i didn't know that Hmm. i'd say etcs are probably the biggest like that's usually what i come across except for tours and big things like that but most standard theaters around our sizes that we work in are often etc boards yeah most definitely. Although I just worked on a um, um, the CES uh, conference, and I I spec'd the uh, 
ETC, <laughs> the EOS console, and everybody made fun of me. <laughs> Why? Because of the conference? Um, no, it's just the event world uh, uses uh, more of the Grand Ma than ETC. So supposedly, that's what I learned. <laughs> I don't yeah. do a whole lot of events, but... Yeah, I wonder if they just market to different people or why it's divided like that. Because it, yeah. it's really no different, I don't think. I, again, only use ETC, so I don't know what the other boards do, really. But I'm assuming they're all lighting boards. Yeah, I mean, I think they all eventually get the job done. Just different ones are are built uh, differently for, I don't know, better, quicker techniques, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Guess that makes sense. So, do you often work with a an assistant lighting designer, or have you worked with an assistant lighting designer in opera? I know it's it's a pretty common thing, but I don't know how it is outside of the opera world. Um, yes, I do. Well, especially since I'm um, a teacher, I try to uh, offer those assistant positions to students um, whenever possible. Uh, mm-hmm. If I have somebody that's really interested or wants to learn. Um, uh, so some of the bigger shows, like if I'm at South Coast Rep or, or, um, uh, I don't know, what else, um, uh, Boston Court, I'll sometimes bring an assistant over there, but, um, it, it kind of depends on the availability, um, at this point, uh, most of my fees or budgets don't include assistance, so it's coming out of my own pocket, so I have to really pick and choose if, if a show requires an assistant or, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just because I'm literally doing, you know, six shows on top of each other and I need a break and I need, I hire people to do drafting and help me with prep work a lot. Um, mm-hmm. probably much more than I actually hire someone as an assistant to be with me in a tech process. Um, yeah. That's so funny. I've never, experienced that really because I worked at smaller places for a long time where we didn't also have a budget for like lighting designers bringing in assistance so it was always just the lighting designer but where I am right now um, I'm working with Ginevra who's LA based but she does a lot of she's an assist she's lighting designer but she also assists a lot but she also does a lot of drafting for a lot of different designers some designers that she will assist but other designers she doesn't assist she just like does all their drafting for them because they're not very good at putting things on paper so yep i was supposed to have dinner with her tonight and she actually canceled because she hasn't finished the drafting for some new project that she has going on right now but i never really thought about that because in school i was just trained to like designers did their own drafting and it you know it didn't occur to me that some just aren't as good as it at it as others like some can come up with the ideas but not actually you know, know how to use the tools to put it on paper. That's fascinating um, to me. We were just, uh, you know, trained to be able to do all of that, but I've worked for a lot of designers that that don't. And I I definitely started out more so when I was in grad school, but I did do a lot of drafting for, for other designers. And a lot of times, you know, it's not that they can't or do the drafting, it's that they don't have the time or can... You know, would much rather you know farm out some of that work, <laughs> right? It's not the stuff that they enjoy, so why not have somebody else do it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. What program? And it's good for other people who love it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, think so I, mean, I do love it. I like not so much. Um, sometimes I'll hire uh, assistants to like, I don't know, draft a set in 3D for me if I'm really trying to figure out some sectioning. Um, I'm not a, uh, I'm just not very good at doing that anymore. I think I used to be, but um, I love the actual plotting the lights part of it. Huh. What programs do you use? Are you? I know Vectorworks seems to be in the lighting world, and AutoCAD seems to be in the set building world. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, Vectorworks. Um, uh, I would like to learn AutoCAD a bit more. I think that would help um, me kind of branch out if I wanted to get in the like event architecture world. Uh, I think they use AutoCAD a bit more, uh, but I am. Pretty much Vectorworks girl. What shows are you currently working on right now? Because I know you probably have more than just one show that you're doing. Um. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm working on a couple different ones. Uh, my I just is finished designing um, an American in Paris for Arizona Broadway Theater uh, in Phoenix, and they are remounting that production at the Herberger Theater Center in Phoenix. So um, just got that plot in uh, sent off yesterday. Uh, so that's exciting. And then um, working on the small uh, theater that I mentioned um, with some friends uh, over at Atwater Village Theater. Uh, it's a kind of a t- tiny one, um, but it's beautiful. It's such a gorgeous story. Um, and then um, She Kills Monsters, which is at Castle Where's that playing? Okay. Hmm? I've been wanting to see that one, um, and I just keep missing it. Cindy, it's a D&D one. So. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. basically playing D&D and whatnot. <laughs> That's the show. <laughs> yeah, Where's that one going to be? About girls killing monsters. Um, that is, uh, it's, it's first week of March. I think we start focus the 25th. And that's at... Uh, that's Cal State LA. Cal State LA. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they just got their um, their theater renovated and got some new equipment, so they're uh, excited to kind of see everything. See everything in a full main stage production. Yeah, new toys to play with. New toys, exactly. <laughs> when you teach, how much do you spend on book learning versus physical mm. learning? Because I know I never took a class on lighting design. All of my knowledge was either independent study with my TD or here's a light, here's how you focus it, this is what it's called, go do it. Uh, yeah, it is it is very hard to teach lighting from uh from a book um i don't use any textbook um uh yeah i i have you know i do do some powerpoints um some keynote presentations on different different elements and angles and brushstroke and color and color theory is one that you know that i could see using a textbook for but uh yeah so most of most of my projects are hands on uh, especially the lighting design class. So the intro, um, you know, that's how to hang a light. These are the types of lights. Uh, 
just very theater basics. A lot of um, undergrads, you know, don't know stage left and stage right. So we're starting, you know, from the beginning. And then once you get into actual lighting design, they're hopefully doing projects and learning how to program. And um, we do some vector works, uh, figuring out how to plot and section and uh, the different lenses. And I think lighting is something you've just got to do. It's also kind of, not that it's boring to hear someone talk about it or read about it, but it's such a physical um, art form that you really just have to see and do, I think, to appreciate it. I was going to say a visual art form because everything you're doing is something that you you need to see. So I can't imagine just looking at books for it. Yeah, it's it's never quite um, been all that useful for me to use a, a textbook. Yeah, I remember uh-huh. being taught. Uh, I did take an intro to theater class, even though most of it I think I already knew. But they, you know, had the pictures and they're like, this is a screw gun. And I'm like, yeah, but. <laughs> like there's so much more to yeah. that like how heavy is it and where's the weight and how do you pull the trigger and where do you push and how do you change the battery and all that stuff so yeah you can see a picture of a light but until you actually have to like turn the knobs and get it to focus and and feel how hard it can be sometimes to do stuff and Very being different. able to to do that multiple times I, I feel like it's something where yes you can show somebody how to hang a light or how to focus a light. But until you actually get in and repeatedly do something, it doesn't become uh, a part of you or a part of your wheelhouse of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, one of my favorite lectures with my intro to backstage course is doing um, Tech Olympics. And so you just set up a bunch of gear and have them troubleshoot and they have to change a lamp and they have to, you know, hang a light or put something on a floor mount or that's excellent. Who can get it done the fastest and, um, or, and how to read drawings. That's always fun. They've got to use the key and the instrument. Um, yeah, the label legends. and That is pretty awesome. Yeah. That one's, that one's fun. Anything more physical that I think they respond better to it as well. So many other classes are just read this book, listen to this lecture, take this test. Like that's every every other class in school. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So the only thing hard about all the physical stuff is, um, or the hands on stuff is that they have to show up. Right. Yes. <laughs> like they've got to be on time and they have to show up, which uh, is hard for an eighteen year old sometimes. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. And then you got to haul everything back and forth and get there early to set up and strike everything at the end. And... Eh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. I really, I enjoy teaching. I think it's, it's, uh, it's great when you see the little, the light bulbs go off. Literally. Uh, light bulbs, <laughs> very, very uh, fitting. <laughs> <laughs> what are some things that you recommend to like people take the class and then they fall in love with it or don't fall in love with it what do you recommend to the students who you think really have a knack for it like are there certain things they should study certain things they should focus on or go into or how do you encourage them and kind of keep them going um the ones that well at, at Cal State LA specifically you know they've got they just offered uh, an advanced course. So I've 
I definitely have recommended that for students that are very interested um, to take that. They've also got um, independent studies or they can be mentored um, on you know different projects that they want to design. Uh, I like being able to mentor a student on a design. I think that's like the next hands-on uh, step. And it's a big learning curve. And that's where, you know, they actually decide if, yes, I want to learn Vectorworks and how to get a plot and paperwork and um, definitely kind of separates <laughs> the ones who, who really are interested um, and stick with it and the ones who, um, you know, don't eventually. But does the school have a specific lighting degree or track, or is it just a general like theater undergrad degree? Uh, I think for the most part, it's just a, a general degree. They can um, uh, specify, I think it's either performance or production. Okay. Um, but I think that's as specific as it gets at this point. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely, their program has gotten a, a lot better and is... Um, Definitely working on getting better. And like, yeah, making it more specific. Yes. How often do you go to trade conventions or showcases or to look at new instruments and new lighting boards? Is that something that you try to make a regular habit of, especially as a instructor teacher? Or is are they not that common? Um, uh, it's really just schedule-based, and, and I need to be better at that. Um, I try to make it to LDI. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's that's a, the big one, or USITT, but um, it's definitely been a while since I've been able to go uh, with, you know, with, I mean, everybody's schedules are, are tight, but mm-hmm. freelance and teaching, it, it gets a little hard to get away, but um, I think it is very, very important. Um, I work a lot with an architectural and events company called Radiance, uh, and they do a lot of theme park work. Um, so that's been kind of nice. So if they have demos of new lighting fixtures, I always get invited, and we can, you know, go to the office and and see what fixture is being demoed. But mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely something I should do more of. One story: How. How often are new products coming out? Is it pretty much a constant flow of things? Um, I I think so. I think it's I, I will say that with theater, I think it takes a little while for certain gear to trickle down, at, at least at the level that you know I'm designing. Um, because it's too expensive and it's just companies can't afford to bring in new stuff all the time. Yeah, yep, exactly. And especially with academic theater, I feel like, you know, they they're even slower to get new gear. Um, but, I mean, Cal State LA just got their LED psych lights, which are fantastic. Um, but, you know, when I do event or theme park work, I feel like they're a little more apt to get those LED Legos or those LED fixtures. Um, a lot of it's power, too. Like, anything that saves power with um, theme park work is... Uh, you know, an argument for them to get new gear. Mm. Whereas, yeah. Um, yeah, theater, theater takes a minute for some things to trickle down, unless they have a budget and you can rent the stuff. But yeah, but then that's rented and not like in-house, always there stuff. Mm-hmm. You do theme park work, I think Universal, right? For 
Yes. Yep, How for the, for the uh, horror? Yeah, so What's Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, I've yeah. never gone because I hate being scared. Uh, oh, but, so much fun! <laughs> uh, uh, I'd be like, can we just turn on all the lights so I can just see things? Because I like the gory <laughs> stuff because it looks cool, but I don't want people jumping at me. That's terrible. <laughs> Uh, what is the difference, or is there a difference between lighting a theater show and lighting a theme park maze event? Uh, hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of differences. It's actually with Halloween Horror Night specifically. It's obviously a very theatrical event. Um, so the similarity the similarities are uh. You know, there's there's quite a few of them. Um, we use kind of the same gear. The essentially the thing with a maze is that we're trying to hide all of the fixtures. So it's three hundred, you know, tiny little birdies or little gantum um, LED fixtures to uh, you know try to hide the uh, fixtures. Whereas in theater, I think it's a lot more accepted that there are there are theatrical lights up there lighting our stage. Um. But, and especially with Universal, they take such pride in their um, in their sets and their props that they don't want those fixtures to be on display. They want it to feel um, pretty realistic. Um, and the time frame, I mean, it's a it's a huge project. There's seven mazes and um, different scare zones, and then the entire park has to be lit in a certain way. So. Uh, We've got probably two weeks, two to three weeks on site to actually load in. But, you know, we have a preview. Um, a lot of it is very similar to, to theater. But the Do you then is- have to go in in the evenings or like after the park closes and you have the the after hours to load in everything? Yes. So most of that is is after hours, especially if the there's a couple locations that are actually in the park itself. And so those mazes can't start their load in until you know after hours uh some of the locations are actually on the studio lot and so we can start a little earlier since the only guests down there are on the trams doing the oh interesting yeah but then we also are subject to the different studio schedules of filming as well so there's there's different requirements depending on where you're at (laughs) Uh, but most of it and you know a lot of those mazes are are outdoors, even if they're in a tent. We can't really do our job as lighting designers until it's dark, anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, yeah. During the fall, hours get late. <laughs> How are they controlled? Do you have like a different light board for each maze, or is it one master light board? And does it just run on loop, or is there somebody actually controlling the lights, like um, per show, for example? Yeah, no, we have, uh, each location has a console and, um, we're definitely synced with sound. So they're actually sending us our signals and we've used a couple different methods of doing that over the years. Um, and I feel like almost every year our console changes too. So, um, yeah, we're we're constantly, you know, figuring out what, what was something brand new. Um, yeah, we've been on, we've been on the ION, um, for a while. We've also done the M1s, um, yeah, different, 
there, there's been a couple different consoles in there, but yes, they are on loops. Um, we're not, uh, there's nobody pushing go for everything. It, it just kind of yeah, cycles be, itself. That would be kind of yeah. boring. <laughs> Um, we have people on site um, at each location to, you know, just make sure that everything is operating correctly and they do their safety checks and um, turn everything on and shut everything down. But uh, as far as operating it, no, it's all automated. So how long does it take to actually program it? Is, is that included in your two week load in process or is it something that you can pre-program for the most part? Um, you, I mean, you, you probably could pre-program a couple of things, but we'll always have a night. Um, it, you know, it's, I do a first pass and in one night, get everything programmed in. And then they, we have creative reviews where they come through and walk and tell us what they like and what they don't like. And then if, you know, scenery changes or different loops change and some mazes are much more complicated than others. Like they'll have some, uh, programming sequences that need to time out. Um, but, and then others are pretty straightforward. So. How do you program a maze? Because on the theater show, you sit in one spot, you can always see the stage. How do you program a maze? Because you can't see the whole thing. So how do you know what's going on where? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, different designers do different things. Um, some years, if it's easy enough, I'll push the console around. My master electrician and I will push it through. Uh, you know, then I'm dealing with the monitors and the lights from the console, whereas, you know, a maze is, it's very dark. So um, a lot of times, too, I'll just be uh, on radio or on headset with uh, my master electrician, and they'll program and push buttons for me um, while I'm standing in a room. And we do that room by room. Um, some designers, I think, actually use uh, the ETC software on an iPad, and they'll go through and program that way. Mm. I just did that for a show back in October, or like the designer did, and then I ran the lights off of a iPad. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it's definitely um, very useful. Um, sometimes we have you know some trouble with signal, depending on where our router and things are, but uh, that's really cool. Yeah, so it's it's a really fun. I don't know. I, I really enjoy enjoy that that project in the fall. Oh, how did you get the job at Universal? Did you know somebody who was there already, or have a mentor who was there? Uh, yes, actually. The so it's it's with um that company uh called Radiance Lightworks, and they've had that that design for many many years, and I know um. Many of the designers that work in that company are also UCI alumni. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's how I I interviewed with them right out of grad school and have um, worked with them ever since. <laughs> when you were getting your degree in theater, were you ever like, I want to do straight shows or I want to do theme parks? Or was it just you want to light in general? Because I... There's some designers that I work with that like only do opera, and there's some designers I know that like 99% only do um, corporate events and theme parks, and it's it just seems some of them are very specific about what they wanted to do, and some just kind of go all over the board. Yeah, I think uh, well, a lot of you know my peers that 
you know, also graduated. If you go into architecture or events, a lot of times you're getting hired by a firm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's pretty much a full-time nine-to-five um, job. So it's a lot more stability. Um, it's not as scary as freelance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> I uh, did not go that direction. I work, I work with Radiance quite a bit on different projects, but more as a freelancer uh, with them. So uh, I love theater. I, I love uh, freelancing. Um, I will say the older I get, the uh, more difficult it is to keep working so hard um, and not, not always get uh, the most money for your hard work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but when I graduated, I really thought that I would be... I thought, you know, my, my thesis was waiting for Godot, and I, I really liked the kind of the darker and the bleaker. Um, I thought, oh, it'd be really great to do some devised pieces and more movement-based. And um, then when you hit the freelance theater world, at least in my experience, I kind of, whatever project comes around. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly. Helps. What I take, and I actually, most of my work right now has been um, musicals, which I never thought. I was never the musical theater kid, even when I was an Really? Actress. No. Huh. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, but most of my work now is musical theater and uh, children's theater. So I, I do a lot of um, theater for young audience uh, shows at South Coast Rep. Um yeah, so lots of, of talking animals and princesses. And <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, which are very fun and oftentimes much more complicated and challenging than the straight plays that, you know, are on the main stage. But Well, yeah, because you have monsters and dragons and princesses. Like, those are very different yeah. looks than this is a living Puppets. room. <laughs> Giants and... There's, yeah, magic. You got to figure out how to make theater magic happen. Exactly. Very fun. Uh, you have a, an excellent website. Uh, and that's one of the things we've talked about a couple times. Thank your you. resume has, there's different ways to do resumes. And I see that your resume has like the year, the name of the show, where it was. Is that uh, do you find that resume to be more helpful? Like my resume, since I stay in jobs longer, like at companies, I have it broken down. Like, how would you recommend people to create a portfolio or a resume to try to get theater jobs, get design jobs for lighting? Uh, I think, you know, some of the most important things with theater specifically is it's, I mean, it's such a small world and names are helpful. Like even... You know, if, if I hand my resume to somebody, they're they're looking for names. Who who have I worked with that they have also worked with? And that could be theater names, that could be director names, producers. Um, they want they want to know that uh, that I've worked with the same people that they've worked with, or that we have a common uh, you know a common thread. So trying to put all of that information on a resume, um, I find is super useful. I still have mine organized by dates and that's more just for my brain to kind of organize um, just all the different shows that I do every year. Uh, But I do find that 
in fact, I was just thinking about this as I was updating my resume that I think it, it might be time to kind of take out the dates and just do a more general, like I've worked here, here and here. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure which way is, is better. Um, and then for me, it's also, and I, I think for probably several designers that do theme park work or architectural work or event work, it, I find it tricky to figure out how to put that on a resume because a lot of times you are working with a firm. So I, I can't take credit for designing a certain event or a theme park ride or attraction because it's, I'm a designer for a firm and that firm gets the credit. So then you do have to put, you know, I work for this company and I've worked there this long and we're involved with this project and this project. Um, so yeah, it kind of, I, I, and I actually have several different resumes. I mean, I have a teaching resume. I have the, you know, my CV, I have strictly theater. I used to have a drafting resume. Um, so kind of splitting it up depending on who's looking at what. What do you put on a drafting resume? Just like what productions and where you've drafted for? Yeah, or um, uh, what drafting classes I've taught and what, um, what programs that I know and who I've worked for. And um, yeah, I forget what exactly I had that drafting resume for. I was applying for a draftsman for something, but yeah. <laughs> Your your comment about having dates on a resume is interesting because for years I never put dates online. I'm not sure why. It's just not how I was taught, so I didn't. And about a year and a half ago, I had two people actually ask me to add dates, so I had to go back and add them all in. Oh, interesting. But for me, I was wondering if it was because in opera, so many shows are remounted all the time or like companies will do the same show every five to six years. If it was important for them to know dates because like, you know, Faust could be done every five to seven years and so it's important to see which faust it is but i'm curious about why they would want to know or and somebody else said they want to make sure somebody who does hiring they wanted the dates on my resume to know that i work recently and that it's not like oh i haven't had a gig in five years or that i'm like up to date with what's going on but i'm not sure if that's how it is across the board or if it was just in stage management but I found it really interesting. And then, of course, it took me forever to reformat my entire resume to fit the dates because I had so much other information in there. Uh, yeah, but that's actually, that makes a lot of sense because, I mean, depending on what you're looking for, uh, you might want to know that they were just designing recently or... Yeah. Hmm. As opposed to, you know, I haven't stage managed anything in four years. You know, I, I guess that would make people nervous. Yeah, it might. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Lost a touch. Yeah, <laughs> unless your excuse is I'm sick or I had a kid. Yeah, what have you been doing for the last couple of years? Yeah, yeah. or if, if you were, you know, gaining experience elsewhere. But yeah. I mean, for me, it's kind of nice to have the dates on there because I mean, I've only been out of grad school for <gasps> um six, uh, seven, almost seven years. Uh, seven years. Oh my gosh! But it's nice for me to see, like, the progression and what I was doing. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, just a personal. I, I like that. It, I don't know. We work really hard. It's nice to see the the shows get bigger and right. 
It's nice. And and for me too, like in the beginning, it was like one or two shows a year. And now I'm up to like six or seven shows a year. And you can literally see it on my resume, you know, like yeah. the number of shows increase over time. And it's good. It's also like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that much in one year. But it's good to be like, I am getting this many shows in one year. This is awesome. I can make a living doing this. <laughs> How yep, many shows yep. do you typically do in a year, Karen? Um, woof. I am not sure. I, I probably average <laughs> probably four shows a month. I would say almost every weekend. Um, yeah, three or four shows a month. And then in the fall, it gets a little different because of Halloween. And so Halloween, uh, starts in mid August. That's when we start loading in and then we go through September. So for August and September and well, sometimes October, the first part of it uh, is just Halloween. So that month is different. (laughs) So you're like turning in a plot almost every week? Ugh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's way too many shows. Uh, it's it is getting it's yeah, it's tiring. Um I mean, January had January had 4, February has 3. Um I think March has March has three and then April, May are always really busy. They get back up to four. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I try to take a little bit of a break in June. Um, I do like a summer Shakespeare festival and then we start working on the designs and drafting for Halloween. So June and July are a little bit lighter as far as shows go. Um, so you're right in the middle of kind of a busy-ish season yeah. right now. Yeah. So then are most of your texts one week? Uh, most of them are. Um, and then some of them will get into previews. I'm really um, you know, grateful that a lot of theaters are fine with like an assistant handling previews or... Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe going to like every other preview or just stopping in during the day and taking care of notes so I can kind of um, jump on the next show because, you know, when you're, when you're freelancing at this level, I mean, it's not, you have to do as many shows as you can. You can't Mm -hmm. take up two, three weeks with just one show. They just don't pay enough at the level that I'm at. So Mm -hmm. Um, maybe one day. (laughs) Yeah. keep working up it's just the the other huge difference and it's one that i was aware of especially in the beginning but with opera versus straight shows is that in opera our texts are almost always two weeks long but part of that is because of the way it's singers can't necessarily sing two days in a row so this last week you have a lot of days off so like i'm opening the show tomorrow on friday so today wasn't day off Yesterday, Wednesday was a final dress, which means Tuesday was a day off and Monday was an orchestra rehearsal. So we have like just all these days off. Um, But similarly, we like our chorus is usually even if it's paid, the chorus schedule is usually very sporadic or you can't have supers. And so sometimes you only get to like rehearse with performers in the evening because you can't do 10 out of 12s with them, you know, and so it just spreads out text so much, which is like a good and bad thing (laughs) because it does mean that people are more 
it's more difficult for people to get jobs because you're at a location for so much longer. I'd like to say opera people get paid more. I know in stage management we get paid better in opera, but I don't really know if that's true across the board with lighting designers. But I have heard lighting designers say it's a little bit more difficult because you have to be in a location for three to four weeks sometimes and not just like, you know, five to ten days. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, it makes sense. It, yeah, it does when you think about it that way. But you also like can't, which is hard for people who, who start somewhere else and move into opera. You don't light with singers on stage necessarily. You use like light walkers and you just kind of have to like light over as we're going and you don't really get a chance to stop. So it's just completely different, in my opinion, to work that way than it is, you know, when I was trained in musical theater. Yeah, um, I have heard that about operas. Um, I have very little opera experience. I've done um, a couple like college operas that you know essentially work the same way that theater works. That musical, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that doesn't really count. <laughs> yeah, that was my experience in the beginning before I started doing you know larger scale stuff. But it's it's very different. It's good and bad. I got a lot of free time this week, kind of. <laughs> but then, like you, you know, I'm working on like four other shows. So all of my free time on one show means I'm spending all of that time working on all the other projects that I have. Um, and where where are you based out of? Uh, I'm based out of Brooklyn, New York. Oh, she doesn't spend much time there. I do <laughs> not spend a lot of time there. Yeah, I'm based in New York, but I'm currently in Omaha, Nebraska right now. And then... Oh in a month, I'll be in Boston. Boston, right? Thanks. <laughs> I was like, I forget where it is. I'm in Boston. <laughs> for a week, you're out here in California because it's our brother's wedding. And then after you're done with Boston, you go back to New York for... For two for shows. For one with the, yeah, Dito and Aeneas at the cemetery. And then um, Teatro Nuovo. So. Yes, wow. you'll be stuck in New York for a while. Man, I am. Luck, twin. I know. It's going to be rough. <laughs> uh, so I think we're at an hour with some stopping on time and whatnot. And who knows, but maybe close to an hour. Plus, it's uh, the day we're recording is Valentine's Day. So my husband's like, when are you coming home? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, I did think about that on the drive, on the drive home. I was like, oh, my, I mean, my boyfriend's in, doing the auto show. like So he's out of town. It didn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Went to New York, so I was like, whatever, I have no plans. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'll do right. it and then drive home, right? Traffic's better now. It's past seven. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You'll be fine. Uh, so our last question, uh, I don't know, because I never warn people, but um, do you have any twin stories? Um, twin stories. Um, I know that you asked me to prep this, but I don't know <laughs> how many twin stories. Um, we have come we across have some people, people who just be like, we don't, don't know many. And then some people are like, I grew up with twins and my brother's a twin. And some people are like, I'm a twin. And then we're always like, oh my God, really? Kind of um, yeah, I don't think that there are many, if any, twins in my family. I would, uh, I always thought being a twin would be amazing. Um, and I'm also one of those crazy people that would really like to have twins one day. 
Really? Oh. Um, yeah, I always I think that would be amazing. With <laughs> well, that's true. The same time. <laughs> and then they yeah, can just get, get it done with all at once. You're gonna be pregnant and go through labor and just pop two of them out. Go <laughs> two at once. Um, my my family and when we were little, we um. This isn't exactly a twin story, but we raised uh, dairy goats, and they always have not always, but uh, twin yeah. likes goats. I do love yeah. goats. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, we um we have several goats, and they're actually um it's called kidding season. They're in kidding season right now. There's lots of baby goats at the farm. Oh, twin, you should go visit yeah. a goat farm. <laughs> you muted yourself. Yeah, it's close to you. It's in Kansas. Not really? far. Yeah. It oh, is pretty close. <laughs> a day trip from Omaha to Kansas right? to see goats. Except I think there aren't you, well, you might be too, getting a blizzard here in the next couple of days. Yeah, it's supposed to hit tomorrow. So we're a little bit worried about opening night because it's supposed to go Friday afternoon till Sunday afternoon. So our two performances. So. Yeah, that's yeah, good job. Said the same thing. Oof. I will think about you as I put on a jacket. <laughs> it's it's been raining here, and Doggington couldn't go outside and go potty last night, and so he whined at me in the middle of the night because he couldn't go outside, and I had to go to the back door, and he was like, "Make it stop!" And I'm like, "I can't. You're just gonna have to go outside and get wet. Like I can't stop the rain. It's very dramatic." <gasps> yep. It's a. Uh... Yeah, I called my mom this morning to uh, complain about the weather. Finally, I was like, oh my gosh, it's raining. I never get to talk about weather. And Midwest, well, they love to talk about the weather. And my mom's like, well, it's snowing and blizzarding here. And I was like, gosh darn it. Even when I have weather, she beats me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Today, okay. today was pretty miserable. It was super, super windy in, in Omaha. And even though it was only 20 degrees, which is kind of warm compared to what we've been having, the wind has just made it oh really miserable God. today. But only Ooh. 20 degrees. It's okay, twin. What are we, like 29 days? No, 26 days or something? You'll be back out in California and Arizona. I could be warm again. Yeah, I yeah. hope so. Oh, my gosh. Hang in there. <laughs> don't melt. I mean, don't freeze. Freeze. You'll melt when you get back freeze? out here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Okay. I better wrap up. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for being Karen. on the podcast. Now you can go play oh, with Echo. <laughs> I know. She needs, she needs to go play. Yep. Needs all the mom's attention. Wear her out. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Bye, Echo. Bye, puppies. We just want to bite mom. I know, she's really biting right now. I hate it. <laughs> Probably teething. Yeah. Luckily, it doesn't last long. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, thank you so much, and uh, I'll see you for uh, Mama Mia, if not sooner. Happy opening. Yes. See you soon. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at Twinstock Theater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of IncomTech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.